0: Thank you so much. Good to have you in the Lord's house today, this Father's Day. Open your Bibles to the Old Testament book of Zechariah. We'll be there and uh, read in chapter 3 here in just a moment, a sermon I've entitled, A Man God Can Use. As you're turning there, let me give you a little bit of background to what's happening in Zechariah chapter 3. In this particular book, God has an extraordinary task for two different men. First, for Zerubbabel, the governor, and then secondly, for Joshua, the high priest. They would lead the Jews to rebuild the temple, which was, of course, at the center of Jewish life and worship. He also raised up the prophet Zechariah to prepare these two men for what God wanted to do in them and through them. And so here in Zechariah chapter 3... The Lord has a word for Joshua, the high priest, to help him become a man that God can use. So let me begin reading Zechariah chapter 3 in verse 1. Then he showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan at his right hand to oppose him. And the Lord said to Satan, "'The Lord rebuke you, Satan,' The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is this not a brand plucked from the fire? Then Joshua was clothed with filthy garments and was standing before the angel. Then he answered and spoke to those who stood before him, saying, Take away the filthy garments from him. And to him he said, See, I have removed your iniquity from you, and I will clothe you with rich robes. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would speak to us from your word and uh, challenge us to become the people that God can use, and especially for the men here today. I pray that we would become a man that God could use. In Jesus' name, amen. A man from our church commented to me a few weeks ago that on Mother's Day, we always try to make the women feel good for what they're doing. He said, but why on Father's Day do we try to make the guys feel bad for what they're not doing? (laughs) And I couldn't answer him that. But, you know, I hope that that's not the case today. Men, I want you to be encouraged today that God does want to use you. And God will use you as you allow Him to do His great work in your life. Now, as I look at uh, Zechariah chapter 3, I, I find like six ingredients of of what God wants to do in a man as He chooses to use that man. And so let me run through these six things. First of all, I see His responsibility. That is your responsibility. Verse number 1, Then He showed me Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord. And Satan was standing at his right side to accuse him. So Joshua is the high priest. A priest represents God before the people in his leadership and he also represents the people before God in prayer that's what a priest did he, he kind of stood in the gap alright representing God to the people and representing the people to God and in this passage it says that Joshua was standing there the word standing is a word that was used to describe the the posture of the priest as he went about his official responsibilities In the temple. Alright? So he's standing in the gap between God and the people. And on this Father's Day, it is important for the men of this church to know that God has an important place for us in his work. We too have a priestly responsibility, not only in our church, but also in our homes. God has called us to stand in the gap. Okay? We represent God to our family. We represent our family to God. And so, men, it's our job to stand there in the gap. Uh, Phillips, Craig, and Dean is a Christian group that uh, writes songs and sings them. And and the cool thing about these guys is that, really two things. Number one, they're from Texas. (laughs) Yeah, okay. Hey, I was in Texas this past week to, teach, to preach their Texas State meeting. And uh, I, I told the assembly there, I said, you know, I'm a, I'm a Texan. Uh, yeah, you can take the kid out of Texas, but you can't take Texas out of the kid, that kind of thing. I said, here's a perfect scenario for me, though. If God could somehow pick up Kavanaugh Free Will Baptist Church and relocate it to deepen the heart of Texas... Okay, I guess we'll just have to endure each other then, won't we? Anyway, Phillips, Craig, and Ding, they, they, they are from Texas, but they're also pastors. Uh, and they read these great songs. A few years ago, they wrote this song, and here's what the chorus says. Lord, I want to be just like you, because he wants to be like me. And he's talking about his son. Lord, I want to be just like you, because he wants to be just like me. I, I want to be a holy example for his innocent eyes to see. Help me be a living Bible, Lord, that my little boy can read. I want to be just like you because he wants to be like me. What a great prayer. Whether you like it or not, and whether you realize it or not, dads and granddads, your kids and grandkids are looking to you. You are their example. Like Matt said, you are their superhero. And they do want to be just like you. And they're going to pick up the things you do. They are going to emulate you. This past week I was listening to Christian radio in the truck and, and a guy came on and gave his testimony about how the Lord changed his life. Uh, he, was, he was 15 years old when him and his dad got into a huge argument. I mean, it was just one of those knockdown dragout drag-out fights that turned into a shoving match. And he cussed his dad out and left the house. A couple of days later, his dad had a massive heart attack was in the hospital. He went up there with his brothers and sisters and all his siblings came through the room and they were hugging their dad and told their dad how much they loved him. And He was standing by the door and when his dad looked over there he flipped him off. And he had some real anger issues with his dad. Okay? A couple of days later his dad died. And this young man's life started spiraling out of control. He started drinking, he got involved in girls, got a girl pregnant. When he was 18 years old, he got married, had a couple more kids. His life was just, it was crazy, it was a mess. One day he said he got off work and went to a bar, had some beers, and came home, got out of the truck, and he was kind of stumbling around, walking up to the house, and there one of his little boys was on the front porch playing with a friend. And he said to his friend, There's my dad, and when I grow up, I am going to be just like him. The guy said he was like a brick hitting me in the face. I looked at my life and I asked, do I really want my kid to be like I am right now? And so he went in the house, he sobered up, he he found a church that was having services that night, went to a revival and gave his heart to the Lord and changed his life. Guys, I'm here to tell you, our kids are watching us and they're going to become like we are whether that's for the bad or whether that's for the good. So let's give them a good example, all right? Hey, man, let's stand in the gap. Let's represent God to our family and our family to God, because that is our responsibility. Uh, The second thing that I see here is what I'm calling his rival. Uh, Look at verse 1 again. Then he showed me Joshua and Satan standing at his right side, to oppose him, or as the NIV says, to accuse him. So while Joshua was carrying out his ministry before the Lord, next to him stood Satan, the accuser. The word Satan literally means the accuser. And so what this verse is literally saying is this, the accuser stood beside him to accuse him. Satan stood beside him him. To Satanize him. And Satan is there to resist or to oppose Joshua's efforts to be the man that God is trying to turn Joshua into. Guys, can I tell you something? If you think you can try to fulfill the ministry and the responsibilities that God has for you to do without resistance from Satan, you need to wake up. Because just as he stood on Joshua's side to oppose him and to accuse him, he's standing there next to you doing the exact same thing. We're in a battle. (laughs) It is a spiritual warfare. And as tough as you are, as strong as you are, Satan is stronger than you are. But the greater news is God is stronger than Satan. And God has given us the armor and the weaponry that we need to stand against the devil. Ephesians chapter 6 verse 11. Put on the whole armor of God so that you can stand against the wiles or the schemes of the devil. Now, here's an important principle in spiritual warfare. You don't stand against the devil. You can't. You stand strong in the Lord against the devil. Your victory over Satan is only through Jesus Christ. Notice what it says in verse 2. The Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. little insight when you're reading the Bible. If you're reading a passage and it repeats something, two times or three times, that's for emphasis. You need to get it, alright? And two times here, the Lord rebukes Satan. The Lord will rebuke Satan for you. If you're doing everything you can to live for God, you know what? As Satan stands there accusing you, God is rebuking the devil for your benefit. Let the Lord be your protector in the battle. God knows who you are, and God knows the desires and the devices of Satan against you. You have a rival. Satan is trying to stump you up. He's trying to get you to fall. He's trying to keep you from being the man God wants you to be. But greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And through Jesus you can have the victory over the devil. There's something here not only about his responsibility and his rival, but number three, about his rescue. Verse 2b is interesting. It says... Is this not a brand plucked from the fire? Or as the NIV states it, Is not this man a burning stick snatched from the fire? Let me see if I can uh, explain this to you. Joshua is God's man. But Joshua, just like the rest of the children of Israel, have been rescued by God from Babylonian captivity. They were all taken as slaves and shipped over to Babylon. They were captives in a foreign land. But God reached down and rescued them. Literally, it says that God reached down and He plucked this man, Joshua, from captivity or from the fire for a particular reason and purpose, and that was to be the high priest. So God's rebuke of Satan is based on His... Rescue of Satan. The Lord rebuke you, Satan, because this is the one I've redeemed. I've snatched him out of the fire. He's mine. I rebuke you. Listen, Satan may accuse you, but that doesn't matter. God has accepted you. And therefore, according to Romans 8, 1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We are a brand new creation. We've been created anew in Jesus Christ. God has reached down and snatched us out of the fire. He saved us. Wow, man. Some of you know the name John Wesley. Uh, he, was the, he was the person that God used uh, several years ago to cause a great revival in the world. And John Wesley started the, uh, the Methodist Church. When he was five years old, the Wesley house caught on fire one night. He had a lot of brothers and sisters, and, and all the children were removed safely from the house. But, but little John, he was trapped inside on, in a second-story room. A farmer from down the road noticed that, uh, that little John was still up there in that second-story room, and there, there were flames all around him. So that farmer got some of the other neighbors and and they made this human ladder. They they climbed on the shoulder of each other until finally the last guy was able to reach little John through the window and pulled him out. When they got him safely down on the ground, they say the house exploded in flames. Throughout his illustrious life, John Wesley referred to himself as a brand or a stick plucked from the burning. He was quoting Zechariah chapter 3 verse 2. He really felt like he had been like a stick plucked from the fire for the special purpose of preaching the good news of God's grace to others. And through the preaching of this one rescued man, hundreds of thousands of people have come and are still coming to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. So gentlemen, men... Have you been plucked from the fires of hell? Let me me just state a biblical truth that, that we don't hear a whole lot of today in a lot of churches. Without Jesus Christ in our life and without forgiveness from heaven, we are on our way to hell. There are no ifs, ands, or buts about it. It doesn't matter how good of a person we are. Without the forgiveness of Jesus Christ without His blood covering our sins, we're going to hell. You're on your way without Christ. So gentlemen, let me ask you again, have you been plucked from the flames of the fire? If not, good news is you can be today. (laughs) You can be saved today. Your life can be changed today. God can forgive you today. Put your trust in Jesus. And if you have been rescued by Christ, you need to know that God has a purpose for your life. Just like He did for Joshua the high priest, and just like He did for John Wesley. God has a purpose for you. That's why He's rescued you. All right. Not only that, to be the man that God wants you to be, you need to understand the restoration that takes place. So here's Joshua among the people the Lord had rescued and redeemed spiritually and physically from their captivity in Babylon. But I want you to notice his condition. Verse 3, Now Joshua was dressed in filthy clothes as he stood before the angel. His filthy clothes represented the sin that was in his life. This is kind of a theme or a motif that goes all the way through Scripture from Old Testament to New Testament. The the dirty clothes that we wear represent the sin or the filth that is in our life. Even in the New Testament, it talks about having our garments changed. And it's not talking about taking off the outer clothes and putting on a new wardrobe. It's talking about taking off the sin that's inside of us and putting on a, a new garment of praise to the Lord. The people needed Joshua's leadership here. They they needed Joshua to, to be the man that God called him to be. But here Joshua is, standing in his filthy clothes. That meant he had sin in his life. You see, the fact is that Satan had every right to accuse Joshua. What a mess! His life was a mess. and And, and so... Here is Satan rightfully saying to him, Joshua, look at you standing there, all nasty in your own sins. What right do you have to call yourself a priest? A man of God. Satan loves to do that, doesn't he? He is the accuser. The Bible says he's even the accuser of the brethren. That is, even, even those of us who have been redeemed and. And are saved, sometimes he can come back and whisper in our ear and accuse us of of things that maybe were in our past but have been forgiven. I can relate to that. How about you? That's his job, man. Joshua was given a responsibility, a task. The people needed him, they needed his leadership. But he could never be the man God could use unless something happened to him. Something only God could do. And so the words here paint a very ugly picture. Joshua's clothes are more than just dirty. Joshua himself stinks to high heaven. In the Old Testament, the garments of a priest were to be changed often. And the body of a priest was to be washed often. All of that signified their cleanness before the Lord. Not just physically, but also spiritually. But Joshua's sin and the sin of the entire nation was now obvious. So, the Lord dealt with the devil. The Lord rebuked Satan. And now he's dealing with Joshua's own sin. Verse 4, The angel said to those who were standing before him, Take off his filthy clothes. And he said to Joshua, See, I have taken away your sin. And I will put rich garments on you. Really a couple of important things for us to understand here about the restoring work that God does for us and in us through Jesus Christ. When we come to Jesus and ask for that forgiveness, we are cleansed from all of our unrighteousness. Joshua was told to take off his dirty clothes, and the Lord said, "Just as you have taken off these dirty clothes, I have also taken away your sin." That's what God does for us in Jesus. When you come and ask Jesus to forgive you, that's exactly what He does. First John one nine: If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all our unrighteousness. We're also clothed in His righteousness. The Lord takes away Joshua's sin, but then He gives Joshua this rich, clean, new wardrobe. And that's what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. Philippians 3.9 And be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness that comes from God is by faith. What an amazing picture. Of God's mercy and grace and forgiveness. Joshua's standing there in the dirty, smelly clothes of his sin. And God comes along and takes all that dirty clothes away from him and gives him a brand new uniform, brand new priestly garments, garments of dignity and glory and righteousness. In fact, Zechariah, who's writing this, is actually seeing this in a vision. And he gets so excited that he bursts out in verse 5. He says, and oh yeah, put a new turban on his head too. New hat. Give him a clean ball cap, Lord. (laughs) Just do the whole thing, man. Make him brand new. Can you see what a great work of God this is? Joshua could not do this for himself. And you, sir, gentlemen in this church, you cannot do it for yourself. Something has to happen in you and for you that only God can do. Then there's something here, number five, about his requirements. Look at verse six. The angel of the Lord gave this charge to Joshua. This is what the Lord Almighty says. If you walk in my ways and keep my command, then you will govern my house and have charge of my courts, and I will give you a place among these standing here. So a couple of things, two requirements. Number one, he told Joshua, you walk in my ways. And number two, you keep my commandments, or as the NIV says, my requirements. The first has to do with his integrity. You walk in my ways. You be a man of integrity. Okay? Whether people are watching your life or not, you do the right thing. Because it's the right thing. And secondly, has to do with His ministry. You, you keep these requirements. You keep these commandments. Whatever it is I'm commanding, you you, just, you do that. You obey that. So as I was thinking about this this week, it, it, it just kind of hit me. That little song that we used to sing a long time ago. Trust and obey. That's really what he's saying to him here, isn't it? Walk in my ways, trust me, keep my commandments, obey my word, trust and obey. That, that little song goes on to say, for there's no other way to be happy. You know, I don't know about you, but I, <laughs> some days I just like to be happy. How about you, yeah? There's only one way to do that, to trust and obey. Man, this sermon is directly to you. And, and you know, I'm just saying it from m- one man to another. We can look for happiness in this world. We're not going to find it because it's fleeting. Happiness of this world is kind of like a vapor. You think something's going to bring happiness, you, you obtain it, but you can't hold on to it. It just kind of goes through your fingers. It, you can't find happiness in this world. It, it only comes from following the Lord. Keeping the requirements from God. And and that is to trust Him and obey Him. Finally, there's a word here about His Redeemer. In in the last few verses of the chapter, Zechariah is is looking way off into the future. Really to the coming Messiah, the Redeemer of all people. Look at verse 8. Listen, O high priest Joshua and your associates seated before you who are men symbolic of things to come. I am going to bring my servant, the branch, see, the stone I have set in front of Joshua. The Lord says, you men of God, as you live out your life in holiness and integrity, you are a sign pointing to the man of God. You are pointing to the Messiah. Now the Messiah, as we understand it, It was Jesus. In the Old Testament, the Messiah is often described as the suffering servant of the Lord. In this passage, He is called the branch. If you read in your Bible and look at the passage, the B is capitalized. It's talking about Jesus. He is the branch that that mysteriously springs up and brings salvation. He's also called a stone. He is the cornerstone upon which everything else is built. And men, here's the point. Okay, get the point of this. We need to know that as we live out our lives as godly men, we are actually pointing other people to Jesus. And it begins in the home. As we live for God in the home, we are pointing our children, our spouse, our, our family to Jesus. As we live godly lives out in the world, we are pointing other people to Jesus. And we need to remember that. Don't we? (coughs) Sometimes I think of stuff up here, and I know I shouldn't tell you, but I tell you anyway. A few days ago, I got so mad at this guy, I, I, I could have done what my dad used to say, just punch him right between the running lights. I mean... You, you know, I better step over here when I tell you this story. I mean, I was just mad that, 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 that the the fleshly part of me just rose up, and, and I, I wanted to tell this guy off. I wanted to tell him how the cow ate the cabbage. But before I opened my mouth, I realized, you know, Will, I have spent hmm, probably a good seven years trying to build a relationship with this guy and build a testimony with him. He knows what I am and who I am. And if I really give him right now what he deserves, (laughs) he, he did deserve a good tongue lashing, I'd lose all that. You know what? It just wasn't worth it. It wasn't worth it. I need to realize and often remind myself that the life I'm living, just the life I'm living every day out in the real world, rubbing shoulders and elbows with real people, I'm pointing them to Jesus, or at least I should be. I want you to look at the last part of verse 9. Says the Lord Almighty, this is God saying this, and I will remove the sin of this land in a single day. That's amazing. You're talking about an amazing turnaround? He said, I can remove the sin of this land, of this people, in a single day. In one single day, God can make everything new. He does it through His Son, Jesus Christ. In a single day, everything can change. Now, let me back up. In a single moment, Everything can change for a man, for a woman, for a child, for a family. (laughs) Everything can change for a nation. Just like that. Hey, thanks for being here today. I say that to say, I don't know what motivated you to come today. I mean, you're here, and I thank you for coming. But I think in the bigger picture of things, God had you here for a reason today. Because maybe your life needs to change. Okay? From the outside, everything looks great. I mean, it looks like you got it together. I mean, you're the super cool hero guy, you know. But you know reality on the inside. Your life's a mess. You know it's a mess. God's pretty good at cleaning up messes. Today, God can reach down and pluck you out of the mess that you've made for yourself. Give you a new heart and change your life and turn you into a brand new creation. The deal is, all you've got to do is ask Him. He can change you. D.L. Moody was a man that God used in an extraordinary way in the late 1800s. He was both a pastor and an evangelist in whom the Spirit of God had done a powerful work. He said something at one time that's been quoted over and over and over again that is so true. He said, The world has yet to see what God can do with and for and through a man who is fully and wholly consecrated to Him. What a great truth. I mean, the, the river valley has yet to see <laughs> what God can do in and through and for a man whose heart is totally committed to God. Two nights ago, I had this dream. I told the first service people that, you know, I'm not really in, big into dreams and their meanings because most of the time when I dream, it's because I, I ate too late. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But this this dream is very vivid in my mind. Um, I don't know that I'll ever forget it. I don't know what actually was happening in the dream to cause this episode to occur, but here's what I remember in my dream: we we were here at church, and um, dozens of you. I mean, a bunch of you, men. Just you men. Came up to me one at a time. Now how do I know it was at this church and how do I know it was you? Because I remember your face. I saw your face in my dream. In fact, I'm, I'm not going to do it, but I could go through this sanctuary right now and I could point out the men who, who was in my dream. And I mean, I was standing right down here and you, you just started coming in front of me and, and you were saying stuff like this. I've given God everything. I'm completely His. God can count on me. Pastor, you can count on me. I'm going to be an example to my family. I'm going to live for the Lord. Pastor, I've nailed it down. Pastor, I'm totally His. Pastor, whatever it costs, man after man from this church stepped in front of me and made an affirmation of faith like that. I I woke up sweat, (laughs) you know, pretty excited. And my prayer was this. Lord, I pray that that's just not a dream that I have. But I pray that that becomes reality. Let me tell you something, guys. Our families need some men who will stand in the gap, who will live for the Lord, who will do the right thing. God's counting on you. Heavenly Father, I pray right now that you would speak to the hearts of the men in this building. And I pray, dear Lord, that during this altar call, there'd be a whole lot of guys who would step up to the plate and make a bold affirmation.